0: Hey, glad you guys are here today. Um, I know Kyle explained it very, very well. It's, it's. We have a wonderful band that usually plays here. If it's your first time here, it's usually, you know, <laughs> a lot louder. Um, but we have a, a loud band, and it's neat to have the cool lights and the awesome videos that our production team makes and all that stuff. And sometimes, though, it's just really, really nice to strip it down to, to kind of its uh, its least common denominator. And it's it was beautiful to hear you guys sing and. And um, so we're probably going to do that for a couple of weeks. If that's okay with you guys, just uh, you know, if you can put up with, if you can put up with Kyle. Um, so it's just nice sometimes. I, it's cool to hear your guys' voice over the music sometimes. It's really really neat, and so uh, just very very cool. Anyways, we've been in the book of Hebrews for a while. If you've never been with us, um, this book of the Bible, we don't know who wrote it and we don't know who it was written to. So which is just kind of interesting. But the point of it is pretty pretty, uh, pretty, pretty, is pretty, clear, the point of it. And the point is essentially this. There was obviously a group of people who were being written to by an, by an individual that we don't know. And this group of people had heard the truth. They had heard the gospel. They had heard about Jesus. They had had an opportunity to respond to the gospel of Jesus. And some of them who had heard the truth were starting to turn away from the truth because they were afraid. They were afraid of persecution. They were afraid of what culture might say about them. And so this whole book of the Bible is essentially written to establish that Jesus Christ is superior. It's to give us good kind of solid foundations of the Christian faith and to encourage people to not turn away from what you've heard. So that's essentially what the book of Hebrews is about. Now, we finished up last week. Um, I enjoyed last week because it was a good, like, uplifting ending to a to a lesson. It started off a little rough in the beginning of, of the second half of chapter 10, where the author essentially says that if you have heard the truth and you deliberately turn away from it, that there is punishment for that. Hell. We don't want like to talk about hell in church. It's not a fun topic to talk about, but sometimes the Bible brings it up and we need to listen to that. But it ends with the fact that the author said some people turn away, but that's not you. That's not me. We're going to hold on to our faith. We're going to obtain life. We're going to make it. So on the heels of that encouragement, the author of Hebrews in chapter 11 is going to give us kind of a snapshot of all of the heroes of the Old Testament faith. So he's going to start and he's going to talk about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and uh, all these different individuals. Uh, He's going to talk about Abel, he's going to talk about Noah, all these different people and basically kind of reinforce in us that through faith, God can do extraordinary things with even the most Ordinary people, even people who've made huge mistakes, God will do tremendous things with them as long as we have faith. So, chapter 11, just giving you a warning, is a history lesson. It's a brief history lesson. It goes over a lot of people in just one chapter. It's a long chapter, there's a lot of reading, and, um, but, the, but the lesson is not exceptionally long because most of it is just kind of taken at face value, okay? So it's not, I'm not going to bore you. I know I'm the only thing that separates you from like your day off tomorrow, right? So I'll, I will try not to take up too much of your time, um, but I think you'll be encouraged by, uh, by what you hear this morning, okay? Everyone doing okay? Yeah. Aren't we? Good. Um, aren't we fortunate uh, to live in such a place to where we can do this freely? Um, that is pretty amazing. Not many people in the world can do what we're doing right now without... Uh, the threat of persecution or at least social persecution and so we get to do this openly and talk and I get to read the Word of God to you and we get this opportunity uh, to do this it's remarkable so anyways let me pray and we will jump into chapter 11 you should have got a notes handout so you got all my notes it's also on version, Y-O-U version the app that's free if you want to use that it's got all the translations of the Bible on it and all my notes and uh, the book of Hebrews is in the New Testament if you have a Bible right before the book of James. I don't know why I check every week. I don't think my Bible shifts around books of the Bible, but um, still right before the book of James and right after the book of Philemon, okay? I'm going to pray and uh, we'll see what happens, right? Lord Jesus, God, I love you. I just want to tell you, uh, thank you, Father, for bringing everyone in this room. Just like Kyle said, God, everyone is in this room right now because you have designed it to be so. So, Lord, I just pray that you open up our ears, open up our eyes, help us to receive whatever, whatever it is you're going to say to us, God. And I pray, Lord, that you speak to everyone in this room in some way or another. If there are people in this room that struggle with faith, God, I pray, Lord, that today that their faith is built up. I pray, God, if there are people in here who, who um, maybe are going through hard times and they don't know what's going on, God, that you start to show them the light and show them direction. Lord, we pray that you bless every church in our community, every nonprofit in our community, God. Not that those churches or nonprofits become famous, God, but because you, we want you to become famous through them, Lord. And we love you, God, and we thank you, Jesus. Just keep your hand on us today, God. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, I'm going to read a little bit from chapter 11. I'll do my best to, to break it down, and we'll see where the Lord takes us. Okay, here we go. Now, faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen, for our ancestors won God's approval by it. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by God's command, so that what is seen has been made from things that are not visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts. And even though he is dead, he still speaks through his faith. By faith, Enoch was taken away, so he did not experience death, and he was not to be found because God took him away. For prior to his removal, he was uh, approved since he had pleased God. Now without faith, it is impossible to please God, for the one who draws near to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith... Noah, after he was warned about what is not seen, and was motivated by godly fear, built an ark to deliver his family. And by faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So what we just covered right there, as we talked about the faith of all, not all, but all the people that this, this author choose to, to kind of highlight, of people that had extreme faith before or up to the flood. Okay, so let me get into that a little bit. If you don't know what faith is, kind of the easy way that I explain faith is how our physical eyes help us navigate the natural and what we can see. Our faith is what helps us navigate the supernatural or the spiritual or the unseen. Now, we often say as people that seeing is believe it. If I can see it, I'll believe it. Christianity takes the exact opposite approach. Believing is seen. So if you believe, you will see God do amazing things, but if you don't believe, you will not see God do amazing things. So a person that has faith lets the unseen realities of God be a compass or be a directive, provide a living, effective power to everything they do. One that has true faith, faith will get into your finances, your family dynamics, your marriage, your school, your work, everything. It gets into every single corner of you and it helps us navigate through life With the things that we cannot see. So, for our ancestors, I'm not talking about our physical ancestors, our spiritual ancestors, they got approval by God because of faith. Verse two shows that faith enabled the heroes of the Old Testament, so we're gonna read about today, to gain good standing with God. And the way that the author talks about faith, Is from the very fundamental things, the very first thing that we know God doing, creating the universe, creating the planet, that it takes a a great deal of faith for us even to believe that. Now, Romans 1.20, Paul writes that when we walk out and we see the stars in the sky or we walk out today and we feel the heat of the sun and we see nature around us, that that should be an arrow that points towards God, that we should be able to walk out and say, something made all this. But... It still takes faith to accept that our creator did all this creation. Now, when you become a believer, I don't know if you guys do this. When we do our 40-day fasts, if you haven't done one of those with us, they're awesome. Um, When we do these 40-day fasts, I watch a lot of nature documentaries. I'm kind of a dork. And when I watch these nature documentaries, even though it was Discovery Channel or National Geographic or whoever did these, to watch nature to watch animals, to watch different crazy places in the earth, it just glorifies God and it just shows the creative power of God. It affirms that God is powerful. And so he goes in now into the, to, to the heroes of our faith, right, going way back in Genesis chapter four. And now if you haven't read any of these stories, I think I cited all of them. So you can go back and read these later if, you, if you're not familiar with these stories. The first one he hits on is this. There was two brothers, Cain and Abel, and Abel and Cain both offered sacrifices to God, and in Genesis 4, it doesn't tell us really why Abel's was accepted and Cain's was denied by God. But what we learn in Hebrews chapter 11 is it wasn't what they were presenting to God that was acceptable or not acceptable. God doesn't need anything we have to offer him. So anything we bring to him, it's not what we bring to him. If you give him a million dollars not only give him a hundred dollars to the church, it doesn't mean that your, your offering is any better than mine. What it points to in 11 is it's the state or the condition of the heart of the one giving it. Abel's heart was completely devoted to God and Cain was half-hearted. Cain held back. And Abel was obedient and all in. You guys know we have a saying now, raising Cain. That's not a good thing if your kids are raising Cain, right? And we also talk about Abel to this very day. Thousands and thousands of years later, his obedience has echoed on, even though he was violently murdered by by his brother. His faith continues to be something we talk about. We're doing it right now. The author moves on to the faith of a guy named Enoch, Now, Enoch is not mentioned a whole lot in the Bible. He's mentioned in Genesis chapter 5, and a lot of people think that he's also mentioned in Revelation 11. Now, that's kind of a conspiracy thing. They think because Enoch never suffered death that he will come back and he's in Revelation 11. You can read that on your own time. But what it says in Genesis chapter 5 is this, is that Enoch walked with God and then he was no more because God took him. This guy was so faithful to the Lord. He had so much faith that God said, Ah, Enoch, you don't have to die. I'll just come snatch you up and you can be up in heaven with me. And it said that that was a result of his tremendous faith. And his, his tremendous faith pleased God. And then on the, on the tail end of that, the author says, And without faith, it's impossible to please God. That the believer, listen, must not only draw close to him and believe that God exists. The believer, it's not just enough to know God is up there. We must know, like that last song said, that song tears me up. We must understand what that last song says, that God's not just up there, but he loves us, that everything he does is for our benefit, Romans chapter 8 and 9, that everything he does is because humanity is God's masterpiece. And not only is he up there, he longs to reward those who seek him and want a relationship with him. That's what we need to believe. That's faith. He brings up Noah, right? The guy who had the rock monsters that built that boat for him in his front yard. He brings, brings Noah up. <laughs> There's like eight of us that saw that movie, right? Um, okay, so when that movie came out in theaters, quick story, uh, I wanted to go see it. The director directed other things I liked, and you know, had Russell Crowe in it. And it was it was Noah. So I'm like, hey, we'll go check this out, right? So me and Kyle and Josh and Austin and Corey Drake and a couple of us went after a service and we saw Noah, right? I got like the 64-ounce bucket of, of soda, right? And I'm drinking this during the 45 minutes of previews, and so I have to use the bathroom right when the movie starts. So we get about I don't know, 25, 30 minutes into this movie and there's rock monsters and, you know, all this weird Kabbalah and all this crap in this movie anyways, but I didn't want to go to the bathroom and Kyle's like, dude, just go to the bathroom. And I'm like, man, I'm afraid that if I go, like Solomon's going to come down in a spaceship zapping these monsters and (laughs) I don't want to miss that, you know? So uh, long story short, do not get your theology from movies. Uh, So Noah faced extreme ridicule. You got to imagine, if God told you to build this large boat so all the animals could come and hang out in it and you're going to save them all, your neighbors are probably going to make fun of you, right? So he's building this big boat. He's getting ridiculed like crazy, but he's preparing because God told him he's preparing for a catastrophic event that had never been seen before. Some people believe that's talking about rain, that it had never rained until Noah. That's probably not true. It had probably rained. The catastrophic event it was talking about is God was going to flood the entire earth. And so this is a theme that Paul talks about, that we are to have this obedient and visible faith. Not only are we obedient to what God tells us to do, our faith should be evident that we should love people in a way that people can see, that we should treat people in a way that people can see, that we should have a prayer life. We should read the Word of God, that our faith should be visible to those who see us. Okay, so that was some of the Old Testament heroes up to the flood. Okay, all right? Now we're going to get into the next chunk. Long chunk, so bear with me. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and went out to a place he was going ...to receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise... ...living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations... ...whose architect and builder is God. By faith, his wife Sarah herself, when she was unable to have children... "...received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age, since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. Therefore, listen to this, from one man, in fact, from one as good as dead, came offspring, as numerous as the stars of heaven and as innumerable as the grains of sand on the seashore. These all died in faith without having received the promises, but they saw them from a distance... "...greeted them and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Now those who say such things make it clear that they're seeking a homeland. And if they were thinking of where they came from, they would have had the opportunity to return. But they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. By faith... Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He received the promises he was offering his unique son, the one it had been said about that your seed will be traced through Isaac. He considered God to be able to even raise someone from the dead, and as an illustration, he received his son back. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith... Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, and he worshiped, leaning on his staff. By faith, Joseph, as he was nearing the end of his life, mentioned the exodus of the Israelites and gave instructions concerning his bones. That was a lot. Okay, so if you go back to the foundation of of all three of the major religions on earth, you come to a guy named Father Abraham. Father Abraham was once upon a time a pagan who worshiped multiple gods. One of the gods that he devoted most of his time to was the moon god, Nana. And so what Abraham did for a living before the true God got a hold of his life is he actually made idols so people could buy them and put them in their house and worship them. But when God called Abraham, Abraham responded to the call of God, and now, like I said, if you ask any Muslim, any Jew, any Christian, bar Jesus Christ, they would all say the most important man of their faith is Abraham. All these people can be traced back to him. And so Abraham left his hometown by faith. He let God lead him. He did not receive his reward in this lifetime, and he didn't even know where he was going. God said, leave your hometown and go, and he's like, okay, I don't know where we're going, but I trust you. And on faith, he stepped out. So some things that we learn about Abe, I'm going to see him in heaven, so I'm going to go ahead and call him Abe. The the things we learn about Abraham, Abe, and his faith is one, he extended his faith to his family. What we see is this, mothers, fathers, everyone in this room, it is our obligation, not that our faith can save our children, it cannot. Everyone's faith has to be an individual faith. But, it is my job as a husband, as a father, to pass along my faith to my children, to read the word of God to them, to teach them how to pray, to teach them to appreciate and to honor the church and the community of believers. Whether they accept that as they grow up is not up to me. But it is my job, and dad's in here, let me, let me put some pressure on you. I may be the pastor of the church you attend, when it boils down to it, if anyone's going to teach your kids proper theology, it needs to be you. If anyone's gonna teach your kids how to read the word and pray and to honor God, it has to be you. It can't be me, it has to be you. If you need questions or if you need help with that, I would love to help you with that, but at the end of the day, it is the husband, the father's responsibility. If you're a single mom, that's your responsibility. You have those things placed on you by God. So not only did he pass that faith on to his kids, he showed strong faith by living in a foreign land with no rights or privileges. I'm gonna say something very... um, not politically correct, is Christians. Now listen, I, I love our country. I know that we need security. I know we need armed forces, and I, and I respect those men. and when My father-in-law is a sergeant major, retired sergeant major. I very much respect that. We need to be very careful as Christians how we talk about immigrants and foreigners. Many heroes of our faith, I'm just throwing it out there. It's the Bible, it's not me. Many of the heroes of our faith were illegal immigrants. In the Bible, Jesus himself said, we need to make sure that we take care of people especially the sojourner and the foreigner. So guys, I love our land. I'm glad that we have security. But above security and above land and above borders, we need to make sure as Christians that we love people above all things. And I know that's not exceptionally a popular thing to say right now. But even above nationalism, our real nation is not of this earth. I'll move on. Abe wasn't just looking for a physical promised land, another fact of his faith. He was looking for a spiritual destination, not just a land where God was going to take him. He was looking for a relationship with God. And we need to be, or we need to let God be the architect and builder of wherever we end up, our finances, our job, our physical location, wherever we are. We need to make sure that God is the one building the foundations of whatever and wherever we are. God has to be the architect. God has to be the builder. So Abraham had two, in my opinion, <clears throat> two big demonstrations of faith. And now they kind of go together. But the first one is this. When Abraham was 100 years old, his wife was 90, right? They were, they were getting up there in age. And at this age, they had never had children. And God looked down at them and said, hey, you guys are going to have a son. Now Sarah, probably more like me, Sarah's like, okay, whatever. She was 90, right? Like we have to give her some grace on that. But along with her husband, Sarah and Abraham said, okay, if God said it's gonna happen, it'll happen. And I love what the scripture said. It said, people as good as dead. (laughs) That's kind of mean, right? So people as good as dead had faith and they were the starting point of people that were more numerous than the stars and more numerous than the sand on the beach. Now think about this. This isn't talking about literally how many children they had, but from Abraham. If you just calculated all the Christians, Jews, and Muslims on planet Earth that are descendants of of Abraham, I know we disagree theologically, and I'm not going to get into all that, but that's probably somewhere in the five billion person range. Now think about all those people over generations and generations and generations. God kept his word that from Abraham. There are so many offspring that you couldn't count them. It is, it is an innumerable number. So, moving on from Abraham, though, going further down the line, the rest of the patriarchs, the father figures of our faith Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, they all had a lot of things in common. One is this they lived by faith up until the time that they died. They may have struggled. I'm sure there are times that they thought they were crazy for doing what they were doing, but they stuck to their guns. They worked out their faith all the way until the day that they died. And all of them did not see the fruition or the total completion of everything God had promised them. They knew, number three, that they were temporary residents. So God had promised them things and they knew that they may not see all those things in this lifetime, but they will see them in the life after this. They knew that this is not all there is to living. They trusted God, that other generations would see things that they never saw. They knew that there would be a Messiah, but they never got to see the Messiah. They're with him right now, but they never got to see him in that lifetime. And they confessed, we are temporary residents. We are moving through this life. And so what is the result of such faith? What is the result of of the faith of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph having that kind of faith? The ultimate reward that they got, the result of that faith is this. Now, you may think this is crazy. But God said, I'm not ashamed to be their God. Now, I don't know if any of you have uh, uh, father issues like I do, and I'm not trying to tear at your heartstrings or make you feel bad for me. But when you've had father issues, you know, above having nice cars or you know living in heaven with gold streets and all these different things, the thing I want more than anything is I want my heavenly father to look at me and just say, I am really proud of you. And so God says, Hebrews says, the greatest reward that we can have from our faith is God looks at us and says, I am really proud that Corey is my son. I am really proud that so-and-so is my daughter. I am really proud. I am very proud that I am their God. And on top of that, I've also prepared this glorious city for you better than you could ever imagine. This is how God works. If you're in this room and you don't know anything about God, you don't have a relationship with God, maybe it's your first time ever being exposed to this. This is how God works, that we have promises given to us, and if we're obedient, even when we're confused, if we're obedient, God not only delivers, he delivers in such a manner that it kind of blows our minds. If I were to go around this room, my buddy Jacob sits on the front row all the time. First time I met him, he was really a mess, right? How long were you dead? Like 12 minutes or something? He was dead, literally dead in an ambulance for like over 10 minutes. Eye popped out of his head and he was all mangled. He came in like in this like body cast. It was pretty rough. Not only did God save him, I mean, he, he looks okay right now, right? I mean, like God put him together. He walks around. He's healthy. I'm sorry, dude. He's healthy as a horse. You'd never know anything ever happened to him. So not only did God like let him live, like he's 100%. It's far what anyone could could, could ever imagine could happen, but that's the way God works. He goes way beyond our expectations. And he's just one example of hundreds and hundreds in this church that would tell you, man, I just wanted God to let me live. And man, not only did he let me live, he let me live in excess. He let me live beyond anything I could ever imagine or ask him. So, it took a lot of faith of Abraham just to accept that he was going to have a kid. Now, get this. He has a kid. His name is Isaac. And later on, God says, hey, I want you to kill your son. That's a little crazy. So, Abraham takes his son Isaac. They go up on a hillside. He builds an altar and even tells him, he goes, son, I'm going to sacrifice you. Now, what's amazing is not just the obedience But Abraham had a promise from God that said that his lineage, that that, that great things would happen through Isaac, that all these powerful things would happen through Isaac. So he was like, God, I don't understand. Why would you have me take the life of the one you promised was going to, to take on my lineage, to take on what you've done? And what he believed, it says it in Hebrews, Abraham had so much faith that he believed if he killed his own son, that God would raise him from the dead. That's how much he believed in the promises of God. God, I'm going to be obedient, and I know because you made a promise to me that you're not going to let my son be dead forever. You're going to raise him from the dead. We know how the story goes. God saw his faith and let him off the hook for that and provided a proper sacrifice. But here's what we learn from this, is that we are all going to be asked in some way or another to do exactly what Abraham was asked to do. Listen. Everything God gives us, all the promises, all the material possessions, even our wife, our kids, our husband, wherever you are in life, all the things that we have, they truly do not belong to us. They belong to him. We are just borrowing them for a short period of time, and we are to be stewards of those things. Listen, and at any time, if God calls for us to lay those things down, we need to be willing to do so. Anything that is. I love my little girls and my wife more than anything on the face of the planet, but I have to make sure that I always love God more even then, the beautiful wife and kids that he's given me. He's going to do that to all of us. So we see, because of Abraham's faith, that faith trickled down through generations. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they trusted God's sovereignty. They passed down their faith from generation to generation. And it went down to a guy named Joseph, who's the 11th of 12 boys, right? He showed his faith in a ton of different ways. But one of the neatest ways he showed his faith is as he was dying... He mentioned the exodus, the exiting of his people from Egypt into the promised land. And he believed that this would happen so much that he said, look, I'm not going to see it. I'm going to be dead. But when you guys leave, (laughs) dig up my bones and take them with you. I want to go with you. I know I'll be dead and gone, but I want my bones to go with you. He believed in it so much that he made this statement. Now, what this shows us is this, is that faith is always open-handed. Not just with God, like Abraham. God, he's your son, he's not mine. Everything is open-handed with God. We're also to be open-handed with each other. What that means is this, is that the talents, the abilities, the knowledge that we have, especially you older people in this room, we are to be pouring those down to the generation below us. That one day, hopefully, these 20-somethings in the room will grow up and they will lead better, bigger, more awesome churches than this. That they will teach better than me. That they will be smarter than me. I hope my children are like that. And I shouldn't be jealous or intimidated by the next generation. I should just be doing my job to make sure that they win. That they succeed. That they only, not only carry the torch of Christ, but it burns brighter than mine. That's what we are to be. Open-handed with our faith, not just with God, but with each other. Beautiful picture of the Red Sea. Take a drink of water here. I'm getting all yelly and stuff up here. It's a word I made up for yelling a lot. By faith, (laughs) by faith, after Moses was born, he was hidden by his parents for three months because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they did not fear the king's edict. By faith... Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, and he chose to suffer with God's people rather than to enjoy the short-lived pleasures of sin. You should just mark that scripture. That's a really good one. For he considered the reproach because of the Messiah to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, since his attention was on the reward. By faith... Moses left Egypt behind, not being afraid of the king's anger, for Moses persevered as one who sees him who is invisible. By faith, he instituted the Passover sprinkling of the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch the Israelites." So the faith of Moses, right? From birth, not just if you go back and read uh, uh, the first five books of the Bible, but from birth in Acts chapter 7, it says that Moses' parents saw something special about this boy. It says beautiful. That's not talking about physical beauty. There was something unique about this child. His parents realized this. They went to great lengths to keep him alive, even though there was an edict from the king to kill all the firstborn uh, uh, male children of the Jews. And his parents broke this edict and kept their child Alive. Now, Moses' parents were faithful. God saw this faithfulness, kept their son alive. Now, as the story goes, they put him in a little floating raft. He floats down the river. He comes into the hands of Pharaoh's daughter, right? That's pretty good. Comes into the, the hands of Pharaoh's daughter. She takes him, raises him, and as her own. As he grew up in the lap of luxury, Moses, in the most powerful kingdom in the world at that time, growing up with everything that he could have possibly wanted, he made a deliberate choice to step away from those comforts and to join in on the sufferings of God's people. He knew that he was a Jew. He saw that the Jewish people were being persecuted. He left the comforts and joined the suffering. He refused the temporary pleasures That ease and sin offered, and he focused on the eternal pleasures of following God. That's a huge thing to remember. Something else that's important is this, is that when we suffer with God's people, we are identified with Christ. Paul said this, Paul said we should find it a joy in Colossians 1.24 to suffer like Jesus did for the church. Isaiah said similar things. There's other accounts in the Bible. I'm just not bringing them all up. And when Moses suffered, he in essence suffered with the Messiah. He didn't know of the Messiah yet. But he in essence suffered with Jesus because he was suffering for God's people. In Hebrews, the book of the Bible is urging us to do the same thing. We are to suffer like Christ for his people. And this identifies us with Jesus. When we we suffer with God's people and we have to give up things we have in order to make sure people have just the bare necessities, when we work hard for people, when we sacrifice our time and our energy and our resources when we're suffering like that, Jesus identifies with us. And so Moses' faith, led him to do extraordinary things. He had extraordinary success, not financial success, not rank. He gave all that up, actually. But look, here's his resume. We know Moses is the guy that defied a Pharaoh and liberated millions and millions of people, right? And so as he's liberating these millions and millions of of people, he comes to the Red Sea. That's kind of a roadblock, right? Sticks his staff in the water by faith, separates the Red Sea. God does this. They walk across on dry land. The Egyptian armies start to come after him. God drowns all the Egyptian armies, and they have made it to the other side. Goes on later when they're in the Mount Sinai Peninsula, a part of Egypt, on their way to the Promised Land. Moses is the guy that goes up on Mount Sinai, receives the tablets with the Ten Commandments, the Ten Fundamental Principles God gave to humanity. He's the one that received those. What a resume. And he got to do all these things because he had faith. Moses lived by faith in a God that he could not see. I know he had interactions with God, but God even said, you can't look at me because you'll be destroyed. But because Moses had faith, it literally saved his life on multiple occasions. Multiple occasions God saved his life. Last part. By faith, they crossed the Red Sea as though they were on dry land, and when the Egyptians attempted to do this, they were drowned. See, I didn't make that up. It's right there. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after being encircled by the Israelites for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute received the spies in peace and didn't perish with those who disobeyed. And what more can I say? I love this. Time is too short for me to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets who, listen to this, who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength after being weak, became mighty in battle, and put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead And they were raised to life again. Some men were tortured, not accepting release, so that they might gain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. Listen to this. They were sawed in two. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins, goatskins. They were destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. And the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these were approved through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us so that they would not be made perfect without us. This is talking about the faith of the Jews. Now, if you go back and research Jewish history, it's packed with miraculous events. The first one that's mentioned here is the walls of Jericho. If you don't know the story, there was this huge, some people believe it was a fortress, it was probably just a normal city, but it was protected by these huge walls that no one could penetrate, right? So the Jews, who were not just, uh, they weren't warriors, but they were told by God, by their leader uh, Joshua, to walk around the city for seven days, and at the end, they blew their trumpets and the whole city fell down, right? All done by faith. And we read in this story that they sent out a couple of spies to check out this city, and two of the spies were welcomed. They were greeted by a prostitute named Rahab, who obviously the Holy Spirit was working on this woman and through this woman, and she accepted them in. She didn't rat them out, and she helped them basically overtake the city. And because of that, she was spared, and that was due to her faith. And so the author says, look, there's all kinds of stories like this. I don't have time to talk about Gideon or Barak or Samson, guy that shoved down the pillars, or Jephthah or conf- all these different things. He confesses like, I don't have time to talk about all these. But the people hearing this or reading this letter, they would have known most of these stories, especially the big ones like the prophet Samuel. Or they would have known most people, whether you're a Christian or not, you know of King David, right, the one that killed the giant, King David and all the stories about him and how he contributed the Psalms to the Bible and all this. They would have known these stories, but he was just reminding them. And he was reminding them, in a general term, kind of some examples or statements that this extraordinary faith produced. He said, by faith, kingdoms were conquered, Uh, justice was administered, Uh, uh, promises were obtained, that they shut the mouths of lions, that they quenched the raging fire, if you were here, for Daniel. They escaped the edge of the sword. They gained strength after they were weak. They became mighty in battle. And these people who were not warriors, that they put these huge armies to flight, not because they were powerful, not because they were talented, not because they even had numbers, but because of the power of God through their faith, that all these things happened. He goes on. He said, There were also people who were raised by the dead. There's a story of Elisha raising a woman's story from the dead pre Jesus Christ. That there was these stories of men who were tortured but didn't give up their hope. That they endured mockings and scourgings as well as imprisonments for their belief. People who were stoned or sawed in two. Now there are people who won't come to church in the south if like your football team's playing. And there are people who are being sawed in two and would not give up their faith. Listen to that. It is an amazing kind of faith that one must have to where your body is literally being sawed in two parts and you would not give up your faith. They were destitute, they were afflicted, they were mistreated. They lived in deserts and mountains and caves. They wore sheep skins and goat skins. They weren't living in the lap of luxury. They were going through very, very hard times. And it said because of this, because of their faith, the author says the world is not worthy of them. They were too good for this world. So God, in whatever way he saw fit, they were removed from this world through martyrdom, through death, all these different ways. Now, here's the thing. Faith in God, and if you've ever been told this, you were lied to, faith in God does not guarantee comfort. I have not found that anywhere in the Bible. I know we have the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, inside of us. You know the beauty of Christianity. The world says you have to have these things. You have to have this trophy wife and this big house and this fast car. and You have to live in this great neighborhood and all these things in order to be happy. You have to have these things to be happy. The Bible says you can take all that away. I can be destitute and homeless and all these things. And because of the contentment that God gives me, my joy is not determined on the outside circumstances. My joy is determined by the God that lives inside of me. That's the beauty of our faith, is you can take it all away, and I still have contentment. So whenever people try to tell you this prosperity gospel, which doesn't really line up with the Bible that I study all the time, but whenever people tell you that if you just follow Jesus, everything's going to be okay, you'll have all the things you want, you just pray about it hard enough, you'll have nice cars, and we'll have big buildings with big steeples and all those things, that doesn't line up with the Jesus that we supposedly serve. It doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with nice things but that's not why we serve the Lord. In fact, a young man walked up to Jesus, I think it's in the book of Luke, They said, hey, I wanna follow you. And Jesus said, okay, foxes have holes, birds have nests, I don't know where we're gonna sleep tonight. You still wanna go? That's what he said, because Jesus at times didn't have a place to lay his head. Now, the world is not worthy of the faithful because our hope does not come from the world. It is beyond this world, And so the world is not worthy of us. That doesn't mean we're better than anyone. It means that we're thinking on something more eternal than just what we can see and what we can touch right now. So we're approved by our faith, not by our talent, not by our knowledge, not by our abilities. We're approved by our faith. And though we may not receive what is promised while on this earth, listen, this is huge, we must be assured That God does not delay his promises as I understand delay. It may not come exactly when I want it to. It may not even come in the way that I expected. But listen, if we're going to have true faith, true faith says that whatever God does is good. Not by my definition of good, but by his definition of good. Listen, if God does it, it's good whether we understand it or not. And God is not slack on his promises, he's not delayed as we understand delay. God is faithful in honoring obedience and dedication. And listen, faith earns favor with God And all these people we read about today. These are just, it's just a snapshot. You think of different men and women like Deborah and Ruth and Esther and David and Solomon, and and Samuel, and Moses, and Abraham, and all these different individuals. Listen, the same promise that was given to the heroes of the Old Testament, and in the New Testament, Peter, Paul, Timothy, Luke, all these different contributors, John, who wrote the book of Revelation, we inherit the same promise, and we have the same Holy Spirit working on our behalf as those men and women. So one day, We'll be chilling, eating circus peanuts, and high fiving with Abraham of the Bible. I'll be eating circus peanuts. I don't know if, you know, we'll be in a glorified body too, so like I'll have like a six pack while I do it. Anyways, (laughs) we'll be hanging out with Abraham. I'll get to shake Peter's hand. I'll get to talk to Paul. I'll get to walk around with Ruth and Esther, and I'll get to ask these men and women questions because we will inherit the same destiny if we have faith. If we have faith. So let me take an inventory, because I like to do that to you guys sometimes. Where are you right now? Where are you right now? Let's take just the examples we had today in chapter 11, okay? I'm going to pull out some of the things that they were going through, and let's see if you and I are going through some of these things. Okay, so like Noah, are there some of you in this room who are called to do something radical by the world's standards, but you're afraid of what people are going to say about you? Are there some of you who are supposed to do missionary work on the other side of the world? Are there some of you who are supposed to quit that job and do this? Or there some of you who are, I don't know, you're supposed to work for a nonprofit or you're supposed to start one? Or I don't know, whatever the case may be. Whatever it is, I don't know. I don't want to speak anything over you. I'm not a prophet. But is there something going on that God is calling you to do and the only thing stopping you from doing it is you're afraid of what people are going to say about you? Is that you? Are there some of you in the room Maybe it's because of your age. Maybe you think you're too old or you think you're too young. Maybe you've made too many mistakes. You've done too many sins. You've hurt too many people. Maybe you thought or you're afraid that time has passed you by and that God can no longer use you to do amazing things. Look at Abraham and Sarah. She laughed God, I'm old. I can't do anything anymore. God, like Moses said, I can't speak well. How do you expect me to lead? Sometimes we forget who created us and sometimes we forget that God works his best when we are at our weakest and when it looks like there's no, other, there's no other way to go. Do you think that maybe time has passed? Do you think that maybe your opportunity has been missed? Some of you, we talked about this last week. I'm sorry, some of you have been treated unfairly. Some of you have been hurt. Some of you have been hurt by churches. But here's the thing. We are called to show grace, and for some of us, though we've been treated unfairly, like Joseph. You know what happened to Joseph? So Joseph had 11 other brothers, right? They were all jealous of him, and, and if, you know, he was a little cocky if you go back and read the Bible. Joseph was a little cocky. Whenever you have a dream and you're like, hey, I had a dream last night that all of you guys bowed down to me. <laughs> brothers typically don't like that. So anyways, so but what they did to Joseph is they beat Joseph up and they sold him into slavery, Right? And so the next time Joseph saw his brothers, he went into a corner and he wept because he missed them so much. Now he didn't let them know who he was. He sent him back to get, get his father. His father came back with his brothers, and what did he do? He accepted them with open arms and they lived together until Joseph died. Now, we have a group of people here, not here, but in you know, in general, who call themselves Christians, but they will not go to church because someone hurt their feelings. Were you sold into slavery? Now, if Joseph could forgive and not live as a victim, because we talked about last week, it is not Jesus' desire for you to live as a victim. You're an overcomer, and you're going to get hurt, and people are going to hurt your feelings. We need to learn to be gracious like Jesus has been gracious, to forgive people, to reconcile, and we need to move on. Some of us have been treated unfairly. I'm sorry, but you you need to move on. Some of us are maybe called to lead, but that's not our natural gifting, It wasn't Moses' natural gifting. Probably one of the most revered heroes of our faith wrote the first five books of the Bible. It was not his natural gifting to be a leader. And so God looks down at that and says, You're not naturally a good leader, so I'm gonna make you the leader over millions of people. You're gonna write the first five books of the Bible. You're gonna be a guy that people are gonna talk about forever and ever and ever. Moses said, God, I can't even speak well. And God said, Do you know who made your mouth? You're gonna lead. There are some of you, you know it's not natural. You know it's uncomfortable. Some of you are introverted and to work in hospitality or to work with people, it's, very, it's out of your comfort zone. Man, but God loves pulling us out of our comfort zones. And some of you need to just be called out of your comfort zones. There may be some of you who are called to tackle some immovable wall, some unstoppable force, that some of you guys are maybe to do some kind of ministry for groups of people that no one will touch. There was a young woman here last week. She's from out of town and she's moving down here. And this woman came up to me and she said, hey, are there any strip clubs in town? And I was like, well, no, we have an adult bookstore but no strip clubs. And she's like, ah, oh, dang it. And I was like, okay, you have to explain this reaction. Anyways, um, she said, what God has laid on my heart is I want to start making care packages for the strippers. Put perfume in it and nice chocolates and a devotional Bible and maybe a note that says, we love you and you're more valuable. See, that's a wall we don't want to break down, isn't it? We want to make sure that those people stay over there and that we're over here safely. And this woman was just like, let's just break it down. Listen, I know I'm being recorded right now and someone will send something hateful for this and you may not like this. The Christian community is going to really have to think and pray. I know there's all this talk about transgenderism and bathrooms that are used for transgendered people. I know that people are arguing and Let me tell you this, we don't have to condone an action to love people who are broken. The church is going to have to really, really get on its face and pray and think about how can we strategically minister to a a demographic of people that most of society does not want to touch or deal with. How are we going to minister? How are we going to love? How are we going to invite them into our home? Not condoning things, but loving them in such a manner to where we let the Holy Spirit penetrate their heart. Guys, some of you are going to get uncomfortable in the next couple of years, and that's okay. We need to love people. We need to love people. Um, Maybe some of you feel like Rahab, that you've prostituted yourself out. Of course, I'm not talking about literally, but maybe some of you have sold yourself out to your job. You've sold yourself out to your material possessions. Maybe you've even sold yourself out to things that aren't necessarily bad, but you've put way too much time in your marriage and kids that you've neglected Jesus We've sold ourselves out for whatever it is. And maybe God is saying, now look, you sold yourself out for that. I need you to sell yourself out for me. I need you to be 100% on my side. Maybe you're in that camp. Here's the thing. Here's the bottom line. We can be Abrahams and Ruths and Esthers and Davids. We can be Peters and Pauls and Phoebes. She was an elder in the New Testament. We can be all these great leaders. We can do these things. Jesus was even the one that said, you're going to do greater things than me. Man, he raised the dead. You're going to see the Holy Spirit work through us in in very miraculous, powerful ways. We're going to see marriages restored. We're going to see people that you never would thought darken the doors of a church come in and let God touch their heart and save them and redeem them. We're going to see phenomenal things, but we cannot do it on our own. It takes faith. It takes faith. And God does extraordinary things with people just like you and I but it takes faith. It takes faith. Now listen, the Bible says this, faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the word of God. Your faith is never going to increase until you make this book a priority. Your faith will never increase until you talk to the Lord. Your faith will never increase until you say, God, I don't understand. I don't know where steps one, two, and three are, but I'm going to step out. We must be obedient. We must pray. We must study. And if we will do those things, guys, I'm not trying to pep you up, and I'm not like a self-help guy, but God will do phenomenal things through you. And if you don't see it, that's perfectly fine. He does. And God will do amazing things, but we've got to be obedient. We've got to pray. We've got to read. And we've got to just go out and do. I don't know where you're at, guys. I don't know where you're at, but our city needs us. I don't know where you're at, but people who are confused about sexuality, people who are confused about their identity, people who are struggling, people who are just looking for some kind of love and acceptance, people who have been hurt and abused, they need us. They need us. They need the truth. And we are the ambassadors. Listen, we are the visible ambassadors of the invisible God. That's us. That's me. That's you but we must believe that the Holy Spirit wants to work through us and that he loves us more than anything. Would you bow your heads with me? I'm gonna pray for you right now. Your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed. And then I'm gonna invite you to take communion and you can also get prayer on the right and left. There'll be men and women up here to pray for you. If you fall into these categories, you don't have to do anything, but I'm going to pray, okay? Lord Jesus, God, I pray right now for those in this room who are called to do something radical, but they're afraid. I pray for the ones who are called to do radical ministry. They're called to do radical things at their job, at their school, whatever the case may be. For those in the room that you're calling to do something crazy, but they're afraid, God, I pray for them right now. Lord Jesus, for the people in the room who may think they're too old, for the people in the room that think they're too young, for the people in the room that think that they've done too many things, God, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you let them know that their time has not passed. For those who some may think are as good as dead, God, I pray that you do something amazing with them. Lord, for the people in this room who've been treated unfairly, for the ones who've been hurt or abused or taken advantage of, God, I pray, Lord, that you give them the strength To ask uh, not only forgiveness, Lord, if they've done something wrong, but to show grace and mercy to the ones that have treated them wrong. To reconcile broken relationships and to show grace. God, if there are people in this room who are called to lead, even though it's not natural for them, I pray, Lord, that you give them courage and strength and that they step up and that they do your will. Lord God, for all the people who are called in here to approach some unstoppable force, who are called to break down some impenetrable wall, I pray that you give them courage and that they start pushing. I pray, God, that they start knocking down that wall that no one thinks can be knocked down. Lord Jesus, if there's people in here who have sold themselves out to the world or material possessions or anything selfish, I pray, God, that they start to sell themselves out to you. Lord, we love you, Jesus, and we thank you, God, is we're about to take communion, Lord, the representation of your body and blood. Lord, I pray that we can all approach that with a repentant heart, God. If there's anyone in here, Lord, who's struggling with their faith or they have no faith, God, I pray, Lord, that they just have enough courage to ask if you're up there. And Lord, if they will do that, God, I I, I just believe that you will touch their heart. We pray all this, God, in faith believing, Lord, that you're gonna do something great in the lives of the people in this room. We love you, Jesus. We pray all this in your name, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, there's communion on the far back wall, on the sides. There's people up here on my left and right to pray for you. You guys help yourself, make yourself at home. Have a good Memorial Day.